This trip was brought to you by our good friends at River. You want to do mining? Talking about mining, River makes it very easy to mine in a professional way. You go to river.com slash TFTC, set up an account. You go to river.com slash mining after that, and you can pick an ASIC. They have many ASICs for sale. Uh, some are already plugged in with hosting contracts, so you can buy an ASIC and lock in a hosting contract immediately. You purchase it. You're already up and hashing and sat or streaming to your River account, whether you're an individual or uh, a larger institution wants to mine a lot. River is here to help you. They have a wake love professional service that'll walk you through the process that'll get you set up. Or if you don't want them walk you through the process, you can just go through the website, through the app and, and do it without having to talk to anybody. I shouldn't say I'm not certain, but maybe you do have to talk to somebody. But point is, it's a great way to mine. They're doing it the right way. So go check it out. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Set up an account today. ASICs are cheap. Still cheap. Still in the bear market. It's a good time. About 11 months out from the halving. So get all those sats with 6.25 block subsidy rewards while you can. River.com slash TFTC. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hall. Unchained. They're here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. They're building a Bitcoin financial institution the right way by leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. Their vault product is a two or three multi-sig wallet. It allows you to hold two keys and Unchained to hold one. You eliminate single points of failure in this model. Since you hold two keys, you control the Bitcoin in the vault at any given point in time. But if you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. Beyond that, they have their trading desk. If you want to buy Bitcoin and send it straight to your vault after you have it set up, Unchained's the best place to do it. You can do it all in one place. It's the best place to buy Bitcoin in bulk. You buy and it goes straight to cold storage. On top of that, they have their lending desk, their IRA, their inheritance protocol. Again, all revolving around native multi-sig properties that Bitcoin has that reduces single points of failure. It is the future. Go to Unchained.com. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Talk to their concierge team. They'll walk you through everything I just described. This trip is also brought to you by good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to help you bring sovereignty back to your healthcare and how you pay for it. Incumbent health insurance is notoriously opaque, expensive, impersonal. CrowdHealth is the complete opposite. It's cheaper. It's transparent. And it's very personal. You get a personal health advocate. Once you get onboarded to CrowdHealth, CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's crowdfunded healthcare. So the way it works is you become a member. And then when you have to go to the doctor, you let CrowdHealth know, hey, I'm going to go to the doctor. They'll either help you find one or connect to your doctor that you're going to. Uh, once you go to the doctor, you get the bill. You bring it back to CrowdHealth. They negotiate the bill lower with the doctor. And then you pay the first $500 of that bill. And the rest gets crowdfunded by the CrowdHealth community. Me and my family are on this. We've used this. It works flawlessly. And again, it's cheaper because you have metrics they have to meet to get into the crowd health community. It's a relatively healthier community of individuals. And so overall healthcare costs for the crowd health community are lower. So you're paying less than you would with insurance. So if you're on Cobra, uh, any of that stuff, consider crowd health. Go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up today. And get a deal on your membership fees for the first six months. This trip was also 
brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co. It's a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. If you're a company in the space looking to hire the best talent in the world, go set up, go get set up with Bitcoin Talent Co. They'll understand your needs, uh, what you are looking for, what your company does. Again, it's a recruiting firm by Bitcoiners, so they understand the difference between multi-sig, mining, lightning. They actually understand Bitcoin, so you're not just spraying and praying with a random recruiter to hope that they can actually understand what you need. Bitcoin Talent Co. will understand, already does understand. Likewise, if you are talent stranded in big tech, big banking, big finance, you're a Bitcoiner looking to get into the space, set up a profile on Bit- with Bitcoin Talent Co. Go to bitcointalent.co to do all this. Tell them the TFTC sent you and enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. We're rolling. Jose, we didn't call each other this morning, but I guess uh, <laughs> I guess we just decided green pants, blue shirt. It's time to yeah, go. I think it's uh, it's the look. It is the look. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been getting a lot of compliments. I'm not sure if you have as well. Yeah, because uh, it's it's humid out here. I've got the terry cloth on to soak up the sweat. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah, but this is a great event. Shout out to the uh, Rod, Matt, Harry at Bitcoin Park putting this event yeah. together. Yeah, it's it's been really good. Yeah, really good. When did you get into town this morning or yesterday? No, I got in yesterday night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How are your travels? Good. Uh, you know, it's always uh, interesting going through customs as a Guatemalan, but <laughs> <laughs> no major issues, so we're happy. Well, uh, if it makes you feel any better, I got molested at the Philadelphia airport on my way here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the uh, the alarm go off and they had to pat me down. It was not fun. Yeah. I, I had a recent one where I was wearing these drawstring pants, but That's they had like same. metal stuff and I got felt up. <laughs> That's what happened to me. I had the drawstring pants on and uh, got, got flagged in the uh, yeah. in the radar gun or whatever that is, that thing that microwaves you. Yeah. Hands up. <laughs> ah, so what's going on? It's been what? Since? I think like a year. Maybe even more because we were, I was in the back porch studio in my house. So that had to be... Yeah. Like fall of 2021, early 2022. Yeah, I yeah. think you were just get uh, getting into Austin, right? Yeah, so it's been almost yeah. two years. A lot's happened oh, since then. Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think this this whole week here, the Lightning Summer, we're in Nashville for the Lightning Summer. That's why we're recording at the Bitcoin Park studio. Mm-hmm. That's one thing over the last couple of days and just beyond this event, what I've been thinking, it feels like lightning is reaching a point of maturation where it's yeah. getting possible to build cool things that actually provide utility to individuals and enterprises. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I fully agree with that. Yeah. 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 So what are, what are you guys seeing at Ibex? Well, actually very interesting. We we've actually started to see like a transformation in our customer profile, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So now for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what we do at Ibex, we, we provide back-end infrastructure to enterprise 
level clients that are looking to integrate lightning capabilities into their products and services. So apps and, you know, if you have, let's say, for to give an example of what would be possible, right? So let's say you're Spotify and you want to change your subscription model into a pay-as-you-go model where you can actually charge fractions of a cent per second of song listened. Uh, you, you could contact Ibex and we can help you integrate that payment sy- system into your into your app. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's been like a big hot theme this week and last week particularly because L&D announcing like mm-hmm. L402 uh, mm-hmm. in their implementation with LangChain and Aperture. And it, again, it really seems like we're getting to the point where the Lightning ecosystem is at a point of maturation where it's possible to do this stuff. And like, what do you think is making it possible? Is it just liquidity profile of the network? Is it the tooling around the network? Is it people have been playing around with it long enough? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, playing around with it. So you need to get comfortable with the technology, but then also figuring out the weaknesses of the technology and addressing those weaknesses. So, you know, there's, there's two components to Lightning, right? One is the, let's call it the Bitcoin technology part, which is how do we interact with this protocol. But another huge part of Lightning is basically database management. Mm -hmm. So DevOps, right? And how do we get to a point where we're scalable enough, reliable enough, secure enough to, you know, service commercial customers like real you know big customers because you know payments is a 500 600 trillion dollar volume per year that's you know almost two trillion dollars per day (laughs) so and and your technology to move that amount of money has to be bulletproof right and we got to get our customers you know comfortable with this and so that's kind of our sandbox, right? Because our thesis is that just like you don't necessarily run your own email server or you don't do your own cloud infrastructure. For Lightning at a certain level, you probably don't want to do your own Lightning infrastructure. You, because, you know, somebody like Ibex, or we can do it better, faster, more securely, and for less. Yeah. And so what are like the product KPIs that you pay attention to to make sure that you're delivering that service? Is it mainly revolve around uh, successful payments and failure rates? Is it the amount of money that can be moved? Combination of all. Combination of a little bit of all, but a lot of it is just, like I said, very much kind of like, it looks a lot like a database management thing. So, you know, uptime, transaction success rate, um, at least on our end, the interesting thing about Lightning, right, is that we don't necessarily get n- notified when a payment fails on our end because the one that knows that the payment failed is the guy that's sending out the payment, mm-hmm. not the person receiving it. We just understand that the invoice has not been fulfilled, Yes. right? And if it's because, you know, whoever is sending it doesn't have, you know, the request the required liquidity doesn't have, you know, the correct channel uh, management. And this is why I think Lightning really is more 
um, geared towards, you know, this type of email cloud service type of structure is because if you want to have uh, guaranteed and reliable payments, you basically have to, you know, dedicate yourself to making sure that your uh, infrastructure is good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I do see, you know, probably some people that are really interested in it are and are interested in managing, you know, their lightning infrastructure in-house, they're going to do it. But but other than that, you're probably better off with somebody like Ibex. Yeah. And what are the trade-offs that enterprises, individuals make by doing this? Because I agree, like, it probably doesn't make sense for everybody to go out, spin up their own node, mm-hmm. create their own channel, liquidity. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the experience for, like, an enterprise coming to you and, like... Well, the trade-offs for enterprises, so so we have to like <laughs> differentiate here a little bit from the customer profile, right? So for enterprises, they're not much different than any other requirement they would need in adopting any other payments technology. So we go into the world of, you know, compliance, KYC, all of that stuff, but you know, these are enterprises that are you know, they have to do it anyway, mm-hmm. right? So we're not too worried about that. Where it gets a little bit trickier is at the individual personal level, right? And that's also why we don't um, like to onboard individuals onto Lightning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're more geared towards, you know, businesses. And we really operate kind of like behind the person that, uh, you know, delivers the service, Yeah. right? And... So these customers, they're used to this. There's no big trade-offs if you have to go down, you know, to it is it's that there's no privacy. But again, I am for no privacy for corporations. Yeah. They don't need it. Right? <laughs> they don't need it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And what uh and that's the beauty of lightning too. Like, yes, there's like you know who the corporation is and who you're onboarding, but the rest of the Lightning Network really doesn't have to know that they're receiving payments. So like you can't see exactly. that they're doing a bunch of flow and have some. Yeah. Well, that and and the beauty of Lightning is that uh, also for me, and this is going back to the whole profile of customer changing. So let's say when we started off um, back in late. 21, early 22, offering this service, most of our customers and, and, and people we had talks with were, you know, uh, either crypto businesses or wallets, exchanges, you know, somebody that wanted to do payments with crypto or digital or whatever, right? Whereas uh, today, most of our customers are more fintechs, um, settlement players, uh, financial institutions, those type of customers that are looking for a better way to move money globally, to move value globally, which is super interesting to me because it's that realization that, okay, these guys are really paying attention to the technology and they're right to do so. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Spotify example of being able to charge mm-hmm. customers per minute listen per song listen whatever it may be per second per second like what else does this solve for enterprise companies like that's just 
pure payment flow, mm-hmm. but like how much does chargeback risk come up in the conversations you're having? Um, it's significant part. So a lot of the reason why we have this huge compliance, uh, you know, infrastructure set up, it's not even necessarily about, you know, uh, money laundering or KYC or anything like that. A lot of it is just, you know, information flow. So SOC2 compliance and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, SOC2 compliance, uh, by the way, is uh, a way of guaranteeing, you know, the database integrity mm-hmm. and that the information that you're exposing is not compromising anybody's privacy. Yeah. That kind of stuff, right? And so those problems really don't exist in Lightning, right? Because you don't know exactly who you're sending money to, or ideally you don't, or who you're receiving money from. Like your end customer knows, but us as, uh, you know, backend infrastructure providers, we don't necessarily know or want to know uh, because it lowers the risk, right? And so... Conversations are are tricky <laughs> because it's a, a lot of changing of the mindset. Like you don't really need all of this stuff yeah. that you used to need. Some people think it's almost too good to be true. Well, in in a sense, and and then the final settlement, right? Which mm-hmm. is where we started the conversation. Is it's really interesting to explain to somebody. Listen, the thing is that in Lightning, either it was successful or it failed and there's no in between mm-hmm. and being successful also means you paid the exact amount that was required. So I'll give you an example that we run into right now. Uh, and this is difference between on-chain payments and lightning payments because lightning requires you to generate an invoice, right? Mm-hmm. And say, pay me X amount. So let's say 10 million Satoshis for a, Concert ticket. I don't know. That's an expensive concert. You're going to Taylor Swift. (laughs) Yeah, it's a Taylor Swift concert. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So anyway, 10 million Satoshis. If you don't pay exactly 10 million Satoshis, the payment just doesn't go through. Mm -hmm. So it fails. But if you pay the 10 million Satoshis, you're guaranteed those 10 million Satoshis are in the merchant's account and they can release the product. Mm -hmm. Right. What happens with on-chain? On chain, <laughs> you can send what whatever amount, and so you know for for uh, for some customers that we operate the on chain payments, especially online, it's a pain because you know we get like oh the they underpaid by two satoshis, and it's a pain. Yeah, it's what pain. is that like? Like a thousandth of a cent, if that something like that is yeah. it's a ridiculous amount. It's like we just go in we send two Satoshis from our own back end and it goes through, right? But the customer experience is horrible. Mm-hmm. That's why we really, you know, want to move everybody, at least in payments, onto Lightning, mm-hmm. especially at the retail level. Like for other type of transactions, there is a use case and an ar- argument to be made for on-chain. But for anything retail, and I mean anything, it, it doesn't matter really the amount you kind of want to have it be on lightning. Yeah, because the invoice is like, all right, pay this exact amount. Yeah. Send the exact amount. Mm. Exactly. And so these conversations with enterprise customers that you're having, mm-hmm. they're, I would imagine, predominantly wanting to leverage Bitcoin for the final 
settlement and the, mm-hmm. the quickness of the transaction, relatively low fees, are any of them like holding any Bitcoin, do you think? No. No. no well, not for anything other than testing purposes. Mm-hmm. So right now, uh, also for for anybody that doesn't know exactly how this works when you go into that enterprise world, um, the first thing that happens is you get an RFI, right? So that's a request for information. This means that they are starting to kind of like um, look into into the technology. Mm-hmm. They probably, you know, bought some Bitcoin, transacted some Bitcoin on chain, did uh, some of this stuff, and. Uh, after that, you know, once the RFI you submit it, once they they choose a provider, then you go into do a POC, so a proof of concept of how this could work within their ex- existing technology. If the POC, you know, gets validated, then you go into you know either an RFP or an R- RFQ, which is request for a quote or request for a proposal where you do the final like economic proposal to the customer. And so it's a it's a fairly process. involved process. Uh takes probably 12 months, maybe a little bit more depending on how fast people want to move. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's uh it's also we're talking about multi-million dollar investments, right? So you know it, it <laughs> that's why they go through this mm-hmm. whole thing. And when they're going through the RFP or the RFQ mm-hmm. process, are they are they seeing that like interacting with IBEX using Lightning as a solution, saving them on cost? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that actually happens during the POC. You can like tell pretty yeah. quickly. Now, the tough part for us has been, uh, you know, kind of when we go into the RFI because everything right now pretty much is at RFI or POC stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very few deals have escalated past that, right? Mm -hmm. Because technology is just on you, right? But what happens with Lightning is it really changes the paradigm of payments, especially global payments technology. Um, At its core, Lightning, how we think of it, is it's a hyper-efficient settlement network. Mm-hmm. Check a hyper efficient global settlement network, right? Which is very unique and it changes payments completely because it turns it on its head. What do I mean by that? So, traditionally and right now, what, what is most efficient in traditional payment rails is to batch transactions. Mm-hmm. So, what you want to do, let's say we're sending remittances. I want to collect as many remittances as possible, put them into a huge lump, right? And send that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, $100 million or $10 million at a time, right? But Lightning, it's really more efficient to send smaller transactions. Mm-hmm. So, what you want to do is real time processing of, you know, payments and global uh, transactions. And it, it, it really ch- has to change the way you look at how your business is structured if you're one of these traditional payment or settlement networks, right? Because it doesn't operate anything like what you're used to. But I think it brings great advantages 
And as we move forward, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these players kind of come to terms with this and understand it. And for me, it's kind of like the switch from batch, you know, um, instruction processing that we had with computers in the early 80s, late 70s, right, where it was mainframes and you would like group as much information and then push it in one batch you know, transaction in the computer into, you know, with the microprocessor, it became better to do real time, you know, transaction processing. Yeah. And that changed the game completely. Like none of this that we're doing right now with technology would be possible without real time processing of transactions. Mm -hmm. And if we're bringing that to commerce, like I can only imagine the new business opportunities that will be available. Not only the business opportunities, you have to imagine just internally from a process perspective, like what you just described in the company using the incumbent payments and financial system as to batch all these transactions that probably mm -hmm. entails them uh, creating these processes, like you mentioned, where somebody's getting them all in mm -hmm. an Excel file or a database and mm -hmm. spending time to line all that up and then push the transaction, like just having it happen automatically over lightning, yeah. like you reduce all that, that workload at that operational uh, point of their, of their business. Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. And so it seems like companies that are doing a lot of international business are, are getting this quicker than maybe yeah. those that aren't. Yeah. Like multinationals, this is a huge pain point for them. Mm -hmm. Right. But even beyond, let's say, multinationals, which are, you know, one specific type of customer, you know, really anybody that sends money globally, like even remittance operators, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I know for a fact are looking at this today. Name any names or. <laughs> I'm under uh, so many NDAs, Marty. I can I cannot say one more name. I've been advised. Like, have to ask. Have to ask. Have to try to get that out there. Yeah. No, but but as you're building this and getting this out to enterprises, I mean, again, the last time we spoke was probably a year and a half, almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. How's the like state of the Lightning Network improved over that period of time? Is it easier for you guys to build? Is oh. Yeah. Significantly. Yeah. Well, some of it is, you know, the technology maturing. Some of it is also us maturing along with it. Uh, you know, working and playing around with the technology, you also find out a lot of stuff, right? And so now knowing where, where your value add is, exactly how it is that you operate, where you can like go in and really help, uh, you know, these customers. Yeah. And so where do you see this going? Obviously, we're in the early stages. Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you think is needed to really push the ball over the edge and get the, the snowball rolling where uh, it becomes like the point where every business is like, oh, my gosh, we need to integrate this immediately? Yeah. I think, honestly, this will play out a lot like email at first, mm -hmm. you know, where the companies that first adopted email uh, – gained a significant uh, competitive advantage and then everybody knows it, notice like, oh, we need an email. And then it happened again when, you know, uh, websites and e-commerce came along where everybody at first like, oh, what, what are you saying a website, right? Like, no, I have my brick and mortar store and 
you know, and eventually <laughs> you either adopted this technology. And to the point that today, I think as a company, you you set up your website first and then you figure out about a commercial space, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or a physical space. Um, I think it's going to follow more or less the same trajectory. Uh, the more visionary com- companies, uh, probably not the incumbents, are going to be, you know, the first to adopt technology. Those that are, let's say, uh, like in second, third, fourth place are going to be really incentivized to look at lightning and say, oh, we can leapfrog. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, like the emergence of AI over the last six to eight months. <clears throat> and now with L402, um, I mean, it's been out there, but having more robust tooling around it, like um, maybe not even like, incumbent multinationals or payment companies specifically get into this, like the, the emergence and the convergence of Bitcoin and AI together. It seems like that could be a really interesting mix if these AI companies get it and realize the value it can provide them. Well, this is super interesting, right? What you're talking about, because it actually touches upon something that I've been talking for a while now, right? That the main failure of IoT has been monetization. Mm -hmm. Because it's really difficult to monetize, you know, IoT stuff, like smart bulbs and that type of stuff, right? But Lightning actually enables that to happen. And what's more, it enables these, uh, let's call it machines, quote unquote, but devices, right, to actually send value from one to another automatically between them and do handoffs. So, you know, things like to go to an old tried and true example is your electric car, if you have one, Mm -hmm. right, pulling up to a parking space and immediately, you know, you start to stream a payment to the charger. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's say we set up a wireless charger for the car and it can start charging, charging. And the second you drive away, it stops Yeah, without you having to do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So is that like a potential customer for you guys? Tesla, you get into Tesla systems oh. and they have wallets in the car. Yeah. You can pull up and definitely that yeah. that would be a potential customer. And uh, but then you can also do it like with municipalities, right, with street parking. Mm-hmm. Anytime you park on a street, you know if you, if you can tag the the license plate, and you, and your car establishes communication with a post, then it's. Uh, give me a second yeah. here. Oh my! It's Sorry bit, about that. It's a busy man. He's got enterprises <laughs> no, going. To... Uh, <laughs> I I I really forgot to just. It's all good, but. Anyway, coming back to example, you know, if, if, if we have these, you know, just like you can have like lamps, right, that are decorative, but also are the device that charges for uh, the space, the parking space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Automatically, you just park and go. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Like, the th- again, I've been talking about this the last few weeks. Yeah, I had Bellagio on actually last like month or two. I had Bellagio on last month, and he really 
like got me hooked on this idea of the machine payable web back in 2015 when he did it with 21 co and that was like yeah. the whole idea is machines paying each other to do tasks yeah. um, or to do tasks on behalf of humans like ai agents is a great example of that you give an ai agent a prompt like hey mm-hmm. i need you to book me um a, a trip to austin texas i need my trip back to austin uh it needs to be under this price and on this date between these times and then it just goes and if you can give it a wallet with macaroons and a budget and you can go out and do that like just go on a website and talk to the machine on the back end of the airline and mm-hmm. just pay like think of the efficiencies that you get in your own life like, yeah uh, yeah like, yeah but you know when we're talking about this type of payments size matters right mm-hmm. in the sense that you sometimes need to go really low and that's what always kind of is our problem today and mm-hmm. this is kind of what we're really solving for. What we're solving for is that, you know, as our products and services become digital, they decrease in value, right? Because it's easier to make, you know, produce content, it's easier to do this, you have a wider audience, you know. Uh, And so what happens is we've come up with really inefficient monetization models. So ad revenue model, you're the product, prepayment model, which nobody likes because... You're not going to get the full value of what you're paying. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then the subscription model, which, you know, while great for incumbents like Netflix, sucks for any newcomer because, you know, the wall they have to scale is humongous. Like, you get subscription fatigue, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going low on payments, facilitating, you know, uh, nano transactions, so anything below one cent, can't be done with traditional payment rails, but we can do it on Lightning. And what's even more incredible is that we have final settlement for sub one cent transactions, yeah. which is mind blowing. Yeah, it's if if you're in payments, you really like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Why why do you think it hasn't caught on as quick? Because it's obvious to us as Bitcoiners, and obviously somebody is building yeah. a whole company that can cater to these enterprises. Yeah. A lot of it is education and misinformation, right? Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of narratives built around this technology that are are holding true to this day, right? Uh, that, you know, too slow, there's no use case, there's no need, all of this. But the truth of the matter is that there is great need mm-hmm. and technology evolves. It's not static. Mm-hmm. You know, that that is a huge difference. Yeah. So uh, I think as people start to realize that these narratives are not holding true, I think it's when we start to see this. And we're already kind of starting to see it, but there's a significantly lag, a significant lag between, you know, when, let's say, big corporations start looking at something and when it actually makes it to market. Yeah. And so what do you think we can do better on the education and marketing side of Lightning particularly? Because I had a call mm-hmm. earlier this week with somebody um, just reaching out on behalf of 1031. Like, hey, mm-hmm. here's what we're doing. Like, interested in Lightning. And he was like, ah, Lightning doesn't work. Like, Put a wallet in their hands. Like, yeah. honestly, what works most for me is I don't even call, go and tell them anything. I demo the product. 
they see it working and then they, they get interested. And then we can start to have a conversation of, oh, this is, you know. What's happening on the back end. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, how is that even possible? No, I don't trust you. And then you show them how, you know, it really happened. It really got executed. And then, you know, their eyes go like saucers. Yeah. And it's really cool to see that, by no, the way. No, and for everybody who, there seems like to be a lot of impatience in the broader market who are looking at crypto broadly and seeing Bitcoin as a slow, dumb thing and lightning as something they perceive doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Bitcoin going through its monetization phase with all the volatility, people are like, oh, it's too volatile, It'll never be a stable uh, store of value. But it's like, mm-hmm. all right, this is a new monetary asset monetizing in real time. There's going to be some volatility. And then when it's lightning, it's like, oh, it's like it's not widespread yet. It's like, yeah, well, there needs to be infrastructure built out, dev tools, companies like it's yeah. not going to happen overnight exactly and you know what's interesting is that i i think wrongly a lot of people conflate two things that are very different right which is one is you know the store of value part of bitcoin but then the other part which is what we're starting to do with lightning which is the value transfer mm-hmm. mechanism of bitcoin and first of all I don't think there's any asset out there that has ever been used as a store of value that is not volatile, like real estate. But people still use it, right? Mm -hmm. Gold, people still use it as a store of value. You know, fine art, collectibles, they're all used as store of value. Like we don't go out and pay with a Ferrari, but, (laughs) you know, it is a store of value, right? Now as a value delivery mechanism, which is what, you know, Lightning brings to the table is, we don't care about the value of Bitcoin because we're in and out of transactions so fast that, you know, at the end points, it could be like dollars and pounds or, or, or quetzales and pounds. And, you know, we just deliver the value and whenever it leaves one point and gets to the other, it automatically gets converted and it doesn't matter. You just use Bitcoin as a super efficient, you know, payments network. And it's, it's actually astonishing to see. So I'll give you an example we have, and I can probably send you uh, a video so you can see it or share it if you want. But one of our clients, Osmo, you know, he, he works in Quetzales. So, which is the Guatemalan national currency. And so whenever a payment uh, gets into his wallet, it automatically gets converted or can get converted into Quetzales. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting part of this demo is that he's using a wallet denominated in pounds, Mm -hmm. right? British pounds. And he's requesting $2, he receives the $2, which is equivalent where, for the guy that's sending it to one pound 69 pence. Receives the transfer immediately, gets converted into quetzales, the exchange rate delivers 15.47 quetzales into his account. Mm-hmm. The slippage of the guy receiving is only 0.3%. 0.3. Yeah. The slippage of the guy that's sending it, it uh, turns out to be somewhere around 3%, uh, percent, 3.4%. Mm-hmm. 
But bear in mind, this includes fees plus FX rate. And this is between two currencies that don't have a natural pair. So if you wanted to send pounds to Quetzales, you send two dollars and then dollars to Quetzales, which on average will cost you in FX 14%. Oh, shit. Yeah. So this is a transaction that cannot be done on any other technology. No. Just full stop. 20% of what that cost would be. Yeah. Just like 80%. Yeah. No. And the size, right? You can't send $2 from the UK to Guatemala any other way. No. Like impossible. Yeah. And it's, again, it's crazy how people, I think people are beginning to wake up to um, what's happening to the what you guys are doing, companies like Strike and others like getting out there and really like, hey, no, you can use this as a payments network. Like you don't need to take the volatility risk of the underlying asset. And again, it's fascinating too, like BlackRock's coming out and uh, <laughs> launching their ETF and you have Larry Fink yeah. doing the rounds uh, on media. And even these people are getting in, they think they know it. He's like, no, Bitcoin's digital gold. We're going to give people access to this. The people really don't understand the network side of it. They, they really just focus on the asset. Um, yeah. And when you combine the two, the asset and the network, particularly over the Lightning Network, it's insane what can be done. Yeah. But it's it's kind of like the natural way of how things should progress, right? So... Uh, any technology likes to scale in layers. It's the best way to do it. And why is it the best way to do it? It's because, you know, there are compromises whenever you're maximizing for one feature or another. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, for a store of value, you have to make certain design decisions at the technological level that will make it a great store of value, right? And you see this with, let's go back. Let's not talk about Bitcoin. Let's talk about gold. So gold was a great store of value because it had certain properties. Mm -hmm. But those same properties made it really slow. So, you know, from the mining, so obtaining gold, right, to the transportation, because it's super heavy, mm -hmm. right? It was a pain in the ass to, to transport, right? And... As you know, our economies evolved uh, and technology improved, and especially you know, you know, commercial technology like uh, 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 ships and and uh, navies and stuff. Right, gold wasn't fast enough. It, it, like it was a great store of value, but it, you couldn't really commerce with it. And that's when paper money sprung up, right? Because we needed letters of credit. Mm -hmm. The reason we needed the letters of credit backed by gold was because gold was basically immovable mm -hmm. to all effects and purposes. Like, you know, it's it's really interesting to me. You, you see these movies like, oh, we'll, you know, uh, uh, take the money from Fort Knox. Like, do you have any idea what <laughs> it takes to move that amount of gold anywhere? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? So paper was way more convenient. And, you know, technology demands. And so gold scaled in layers. The problem with gold was that we got to a layer where it allowed for shenanigans. Mm -hmm. So it allowed for me to, you know, say I got 10 pounds of gold when I have 10 ounces. Yeah. <laughs> and that can't happen with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, right? No. And why, for anybody 
who's listening who may not be aware of why this can happen on Bitcoin Lightning? Like, how does it work so that you know that you're not rehypothecating sats on the Lightning Network? Because any uh, Satoshi that you want to move on the Lightning Network has to be committed in that transaction in the Bitcoin layer. Mm-hmm. So if I want to have, let's say, 10, 10 Bitcoin available to move or to transact with on the Lightning Network, I have to first commitment commit them on a transaction on chain. Think of it as an escrow system, mm-hmm. right? So for me to move X, I have to commit X. If I become then, uh, let's say, a bad player, I lose all the money committed. Mm-hmm. And that keeps me honest. Yep. Loose incentives are a beautiful thing. Yeah. Satoshi brought to us with uh, on-chain Bitcoin at the protocol layer and now uh, using that that concept and bringing it to Lightning is beautiful. And yeah, like anybody in a gold vault, uh, you just have to trust that vault up there. Yeah. They actually have the gold that yeah. they are issuing dollars on top of. And we found that they were issuing way more dollars in, in Bitcoin on Lightning. You can go verify on-chain that, yeah, the, the Bitcoin is locked up in this HTLC, it's there, and it, you can only actually send it if it is there in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And for those that don't know, uh, HTLC-ish is hash <laughs> time lock contract, which is basically a pre-signed transaction on chain. Yeah. So, and if I'm, you know, what happens with pre-signed transactions is that if I'm a bad actor, right, anybody that's holding that uh, contract can then execute it because it it's already pre-signed and take the money yeah from me yeah if you're a bad actor in the channel your your counterpart gets the money you don't want to give your money to the counterpart you want to keep your money exactly so as you're uh interacting with these enterprises are they providing any feedback that surprised you any feature requests that um you didn't foresee that you're like oh this is actually pretty cool well Honestly, what, what what has surprised me, you know, is just how heavy their compliance burden is mm-hmm. at every level. Yeah. Like you start to understand, okay, this is why <laughs> this is so hard to do today. Like why we cannot get beyond, let's say, T plus one. T plus one means that settlement of any financial transaction happens plus one day. Mm-hmm. So you make it. And one day later, it gets settled at best. Yeah. This is at best. And you start to, you know, kind of really dig into this very weird world of payments. And that has been super interesting. Yeah. And do you think as Lightning scales, it becomes more integrated with people's business processes that the compliance departments will uh, get smaller because there's not really too many boxes to check because it's, again, happening instantly. And Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing of of Lightning, right? Is that because it is more efficient to do smaller value transactions, the whole risk lowers significantly for the transaction. Not only from, let's say, the money laundering risk, because you know nobody cares about a five dollar transaction, right? But also from you know the operational risk and the money logistics risk, like. You know, if you lose five bucks, so to speak, even though 
I argue in Lightning, you cannot lose it. And this is one of the conversations we have with compliance people. <laughs> like, but how do we know that it happened? Well, if I try to fake it, I lose <laughs> a couple million. <laughs> so I'm not going to fake it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but it, it lowers, you know, liquidity requirements, capital commitment. And so your whole operation at every level gets de-risked. Yeah, well, that's the the other thing, like just opening up, like with the incumbent payment system, a lot of capital gets locked up for a significant amount of time. And now with Lightning, since you have this instant settlement, it opens up a lot of app capital that previously you couldn't put to work. And so like, what does this do? I'm just, I don't know if this is a rhetorical question, but like, what does this do for businesses being able to reinvest in themselves and go do R&D in a certain area or go hire more people because they don't have to lock up this capital in this weird Kakanani payments system? Yeah. No, it's like the efficiencies you gain are going to be significant. So imagine this. Any capital that you have committed, not only, let's say, costs, in real time, but let's say you can probably a business could generate a yield between, depending on if it's private or if it's public, anywhere between eight to 20%. Mm -hmm. So that's right now your loss, how that gets, you know, really uh, brought down to, let's say to to earth. Uh, We don't know yet, you know, whether they, you know, are more efficient in hiring, expand their operations or what what have you, right? But the fact of the matter is there's 8 to 20% on the table that right now is just wasted. It's the cost of doing business, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, from a capital efficiency standpoint, it's going to be insane what gets yeah. unlocked for, for companies and individuals globally. And especially in times right now, like... Um, I know we talked about this the first time you were on, like why we're in Bitcoin and why we're like passionate about this, but it does seem sitting here today, July, 2023, with everything going on in the world, like there is an urgency to move and get these tools into people's hands. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the sooner we can get into these uh, more of, a, let's call it a digital distributed, you know, systems the better off we'll be and getting into you know digital distributed money can all only you know help uh uh let's say make us more peaceful yeah because a lot of the violence that's going on in the world today comes down to you know people taking advantage of yeah well it's the money the possibility that you can actually steal money from others by by uh, force yeah by force or printing it debasing it and giving it out to your friends first think of this that that printing money also can get it the only way it can get executed is by force yeah compelling people to use your money allows you to print money Mm -hmm. if not you know the moment you start printing people stop using yeah yeah (laughs) He's literally pointing a gun at you. Say, "This is the legal tender. You got to use this." It's... Yeah, like, no, we were we were. I went to dinner last night. We were talking about this. It is insane. Um, because Matt and I are obviously public Bitcoiners with mm-hmm. Rebel Recap, with this show, the Citadel Dispatch. Yeah, with everything we're doing, and we do get that 
that fear every once in a while ago. We're putting ourselves out there. Bitcoin's a pretty big affront to the government's control of money globally. And it, we just had this conversation last night at dinner. Like, it is insane that we have to like worry about this. Like, we have to worry about that we're like evangelizing a system mm-hmm. that just allows people to send money to each other. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, me, that's uh, probably on the other side, right? Because I, you know, just by the nature of our business, we engage a lot with regulators, uh, both on the private as well as on the public sector. Um, I would venture to say 95, if not more percent of the people are just, you know, guys doing their job and they're, you know, they're not evil people. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like just, and they have some real concerns at that we try to address like, okay, let's, this is what you're worried about. So, you know, criminal, whatever. Well, let's, let's figure this out. Let's see how we can like, um, get around this issue. But also <clears throat> what this gives us is a, is an opportunity to really educate, right. And engage in these more philosophical conversations of like, listen, I, I understand what you're trying to do, but, uh, let's not throw, you know, let, let's not solve for one people and then basically condemn half of humanity to poverty. Yeah. Right. Let, let's find another <laughs> way to solve for, for, for this. Yeah. That's where this trade off is. It makes <laughs> yeah. sense to be overburdensome yeah. from a regulatory perspective. Like what is the positive EV on yeah. that compared to just opening it up and bringing people into this? Yeah. Economy? And then you also get into situations where, you know, even regulators are, are like, it's it's touchy because uh you know we like to say listen money's going to be digital pretty soon sooner than a lot of people expect like right now to to me money is already digital because it's you know 95 97 percent digital only three percent of money is printed cash actually Mm -hmm. out there this is globally right um well what happens when we get rid of that three percent which is not hard to do, by the way. No. Uh, okay, are we going to KYC five-year-olds? <laughs> kid just wants to go to the corner store, buy some candy. Right? Yeah, like you want to give your kid, you know, you're a parent, you 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 want to teach your kids about money, you give them an allowance, you give them whatever, right? They're five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Are we KYCing them? Because that's the question. Right. Or are we just excluding them and say, if you're a kid, you cannot touch money? Yeah. Like in the CBDC world, like that's a, like everybody's talking about the rollout of this wallet. That's actually something I've never thought about. Like, are the kids going to get wallets? And if so. Yeah. Well, how are you going to give money to your kids? Yeah. How do we solve that? Yeah. That's the beauty of Bitcoin and Lightning. It's like, all right, just download this app and top them up. Well, right now, but. You know, if if uh, regulators really like, you know, put put a gun to you know companies uh, like ours or lightning companies or even like you know somebody that's been, you know, uh, pretty. Um, I don't want to name names because I don't want to put anybody in hot water. But let's say any of the wallets that are out there that right now don't ask you for any documentation, very easily their local government could go and say, listen, from now on, if you want to continue to have your wallet out there, 
you're going to have to ask for a KYC. Do you think that's going to happen? It might. I really hope it doesn't. I, I hope it doesn't as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be huge workarounds and everything. But if we're talking about, go, you know, having Bitcoin go mainstream and having this technology go mainstream, well, the mainstream is going to be okay with it, right? They already are. Because it's what they're used to. But now we're involving, you know, uh, populations that really do become an issue, right? So let's take this, for example. The reason, let's say, 50 to 70% of the world's population is either, you know, unbanked or underbanked. It's not because, you know, banks don't want to service them. Or it's not because, you know, we don't have the technology to service people. It's that right now, it's not cost effective. Mm -hmm. And the more we push, you know, KYC, AML policies down the throats of financial institutions, the harder it is to bank these people. So, you know, you can't, and this is why I say, we like to sit down with regulators and say, listen, yeah, I understand this is what you want to work against, but know that the more you you screw down this, the more people that you're le leaving at the margins of the economy. Yeah. Because there's no way to service, you know, customers. If it costs me, you know, five bucks to onboard you and your LTV is maybe 15, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to comply with the regulators and say, listen, all of you customers, I'm not. Good luck. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Can't serve you here. Can't serve. No. No, that's why. I mean, that's why we focus here and RHR and Citadel Dispatch, like really driving home, like KYC is the illicit, like, illicit uh, activity because at the end of the day, it's not really effective. Like criminals are going to criminal and we need to get out of this morass of the last few decades that we've been in or since, what was it, the Secrecy Act in the 70s where KYC AML started getting forced on companies yeah. and like the cost it adds to, to companies, the burden it adds to individuals to give up their information um, and then that information getting leaked and their identities getting stolen, their credit cards being spent by by criminals. Like there's there's got to be a better way. There's, I think... Yeah. the authorities that are pushing these compliance regulations via KYC and AML need to look in the mirror and say, Hey, this actually isn't working. Cause I think the stat that was floating around a year or two ago was like, I think KYC AML uh, policies have stopped something like 0.1% of global money laundering flows. Like it, it's completely that, ineffective. Yeah. If that, yeah. Like <laughs> uh, it's, you know, uh, it, their their track record is not good. They think that by implementing more controls, it's going to get better. I don't think that it is. That's just my personal opinion. And I think honestly, like this is how it you know it comes back to me, right? Sometimes there's no good solution. Sometimes you're just confronted with two bad choices, and at that point you have to make a choice of we which is the lesser you know, of, of the evils, right? And I think right now we know KYC AML is failing and it's not going to get better. 
And we also know that by pushing these policies, we're living we're we're leaving over fifty percent of the world's population in serious financial trouble. And so we gotta go back to the drawing board and say, okay, well, this we tried it, it didn't work. Let's at least get 50% of the world's population on board. Like, come on, it's only going to raise the standard of living for everybody, right? It's going to make the world a better place, right? Uh, we, we want to, you know, start to worry about pollution and carbon emissions and all of this stuff. I, I, I'm all for it. Let's, let's have those conversations. But first, let's, let's lift the people, you know, out of poverty. And we don't have to lift them. People will lift themselves. We just have to let them. Lift themselves. Like, let, let yeah. the guy help himself, yeah. right? Don't, yeah. And because that's kind of like the, the countries I come from, we, we really see that. Like, it's close to the surface. Like, here in the US or in Europe, Western Europe, it, it's a, a bit more like uh, disassociated, right? But we see the effects of these policies, like up close and personal. Like, for example, myself, you know, because it's not just about payments. It's about financial inclusion. That means also financial products. I cannot open a brokerage account unless I'm a multimillionaire that has a private banking relationship. If I'm from Guatemala, I cannot open a brokerage account to buy and sell stock. So you're just cut out. Cut out. And you, Nobody takes my business. No. And somebody of your profile here in the United States has that access immediately. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, going on or pulling on that thread, like, mm-hmm these services are needed in places like Guatemala and elsewhere in the world where many people are unbanked. Is that where you, you guys are seeing a lot of activity, you know, a lot of traction? Honestly, honestly, and this is very encouraging to see, we see this as a global movement. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're getting a lot of clients and interest from LATAM, but we're also getting a lot of clients and interest from, you know, let's call it the global North. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think things are more challenging from for companies in the global north due to you know restrictions and regulations and whatnot. Uh, so they're probably going to be a lot slower to move on this. But the interest is there on both sides. I think this is a global movement. Yeah, I really do. And we can cut this out if it's not public. I'm pretty sure it is. Though, but you guys are doing some big things in Mexico. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think we made an announcement uh, in the. In, in, I don't think I know because I did it. <laughs> I was on in stage, Miami, yeah. Uh, yeah, announcing you know our partnership with uh, Grupo Salinas, and you know it's a very exciting. I think Mexico really is going to be, or has the potential to be, the first big economy to adopt Lightning at a large scale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been having conversations. I just, well, I actually flew in from Mexico uh, yesterday Mm -hmm. because I was in Mexico just starting to get these conversations rolling on, you know, 
let's really leverage this technology to see how far we can push it and how many people we can uh, empower financially. Mm-hmm. And so what is the, the partnership with Grupo Salinas? What, what are you guys about to roll out in Mexico? Well, they already rolled out the ability for uh, their customers in Total Play, which is an internet cable and phone company, to mm-hmm. pay their bills with it. I know that they are going to be rolling out throughout pretty much all of their conglomerate. This is going to take a bunch of months. So what I can tell you is expect to have more announcements coming from from Mexico in the short term. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we still don't know exactly like uh, timeframes and stuff, but we do know there's a big push around, you know, really leveraging this technology and all of its efficiencies to, at the end of the day, deliver better customer experience Mm -hmm. and empower people financially. Because there's a lot of very interesting things we can do on Lightning beyond just payments. What, what, what are you, uh, what are you getting at there? Well, not, not, there's this I can say because there's already some people working on this. I'm talking about, you know, leveraging uh, Lightning as a as a settlement network. Well, beyond payments, what else needs settlement? Well, every financial transaction needs settlement. So we're talking about digital assets and the like. Okay. So would you leverage something like Taro for that? Or uh, right now, the two main uh, projects are Taro, which I believe we should stop using. <laughs> Why is that? I think. Uh, uh, they had a, a cease and desist. Oh, the name Taro. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Taro Labs. Hit them with now it's like, yeah, now it's like uh, Taproot or something, mm-hmm. Asset Regist. I don't know. But we we got to figure out that name. Mm-hmm. And, and then the guys over at, at RGB as well. Yeah. So yeah, RGB is um, not talked about as much, but it's no. very interesting. RGB uh, is kind of like the open source version of Taproot mm-hmm. Asset. Yeah. And so do you think this is, you think, because it's uh, not a touchy subject, but people have very strong opinions on both sides. Like, mm-hmm. Do we need to put these financial assets on Lightning? Yes, we do. You think so? Oh, 100%. Like there's the people who who argue against it don't don't understand the nature of financial assets or the nature of, uh, you know, lightning or and settlement networks. What are their biggest misconceptions, do you think? Um, well, <clears throat> the first thing we have to understand uh, is we got to understand why financial assets are important, right? And specifically, uh, sophisticated financial products. Mm-hmm. The whole reason they exist is to connect uh, let's call it lazy capital, so capital that's just lying around with good ideas. That's what Wall Street was basically built on. Mm-hmm. And it's super important because in the measure that you as an economy are efficient in making these connections, the, let's say, economic ceiling of uh, the participants of that economy raises considerably. Yeah, This is why the U.S. is the richest country in the world right now, because you guys are the most efficient 
at connecting lazy capital with good ideas. Mm -hmm. And this is why you have, you know, like them or not, you know, the Amazons, the Facebooks, and you can say whatever you want about, you know, the evilness of Jeff Bezos or Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or whatever. But everybody's life today in the U.S. is multiples better than it was before they were, were around. Like, there's no argument here. And globally. And globally. I mean, we're looking. Yeah. We're using a MacBook here. <laughs> yeah. Here's a... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. We use these products daily and, you know, uh, they just make your life better. They raise the standard of living. And this was feasible because of sophisticated financial products. Like, for example, I, I like to explain to people, like, do you know why there could never be, let's say, a Google born in Guatemala? I do not. Because you cannot manage the risk. Because we don't have the sophisticated financial products to do so. So Google is such a risky endeavor, right? Because back when it started, like you didn't even know how is it going to get monetized? Where's, what's the business model? What business model, right? Like they just have users, but nobody's paying for search, mm -hmm. right? Nobody's paying for this. And, and it needed a lot of money and it needed multiple billions of dollars to actually get to where it is today. And the people that put up that money were investors. But when you're invest investing multiple billions of dollars, even billionaires cannot handle that risk. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle it? The only way you can is by distributing that risk over enough people, enough investors, that it's actually manageable for each one. Mm -hmm. Right? And the only way to do that, have such a wide investor base, is by having sophisticated financial products. It's impossible otherwise. To give you another example, right now we uh, we took in money from VCs. Where are these VCs? They're U.S., Canada, Europe. Mm -hmm. Why didn't we raise money in Guatemala? Because we couldn't. Our company today is too risky for Guatemala. So now we're a U.S. company, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... So like the financialization on tarot could add like sophisticated products that people can tap into to grow their businesses locally. But then on top of that, like you have essentially a stable banking layer via Bitcoin. And yeah. And then the other thing, and this is why I say like why it is uh, necessary and what it's why it's actually convenient is what happens when it's this everything is running on the same settlement layer. What happens is everything gets super efficient. Mm -hmm. So you can have very, very interesting, you know, new types of securities. Like for example, let's say, uh, <clears throat> or new financial products. Like for example, let's say uh, uh, your podcast wants to take in investors. But instead of, you know, doing whole PNL and stuff, right? Uh, you say, we'll take in money, but what we'll do is we'll give everybody a percentage of the revenue that comes in. Yeah. And because all of your revenue is going to be collected in Lightning, over light, in Bitcoin over Lightning, right? 
it can automatically get split off and delivered to anybody that, you know, holds one of your, you know, financial products. Yeah. In real time. And so anybody that, you know, buys this or invests in you guys would be able to see revenue streaming in real time immediately into their own wallet. Yeah. At no cost. We could do this right now with podcasting 2.0. I can just go into the back end of the wallet and change the splits and boom. Like that's the uh I, I completely agree. Like that's the future of things that are I mean the it's possible right now. Yeah. Technically. Well, uh, there's a couple of things like for example, you you still don't have the digital assets uh technology like fully vetted because you need to vet it so that you need to, but it's going to happen quickly enough. Yeah. That's the other thing with Taro or whether it's Taro or RGB, a combination of both. Like, Mm -hmm. again, we're still so early, like the infrastructure needs to be built out. Like wallets need to be able to send and receive the particular assets running over these networks. And yeah. And so on that note too, like how, how early do you think we are? I think right now, because it's interesting uh i think right now if we were to kind of say okay lightning were a human right so Mm -hmm. which how old is it i think right now we're like just about to enter teenagehood right Mm -hmm. so let's say between 20 and 12 years old and just pre-teens yeah pre-teens you know kind of wanting to break out uh feeling independent enough to be dangerous (laughs) (laughs) To himself as well as others, but you know, kind of like going into into that stage where we're we're actually going to be growing fast. And by the way, each year in Lightning feels like five years <laughs> in any other industry. Why do you say that? Because it just moves so fast. Yeah, like every day, it's like. Uh, I was talking with a with a friend the other day that's also in in Lightning and Bitcoin, and we're like, "Oh, when did we see each other?" Like, "Oh, like two months ago." I thought I had seen hadn't seen him for like six seven months. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so much has happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Be, I mean, again, like here at the park this week, I think it's indicative of that there's so many people yeah. here to talk about Lightning specifically and all the things going on. You have different wallets spinning up like infrastructure providers, like you guys, like that's, mm-hmm. that's the other thing too. There's like enough niches that people have identified within lightning to dedicate like their energy at like, mm-hmm. whether it's lightning service providers, um, enterprise. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, not only that, we, when you're saying adoption, right? So I did this kind of thought experiment. If let's say every Fortune 500 company today decides they need their own lightning solution or strategy, right? How long would it take us to onboard them? Not Ibex. I mean, every lightning company out there helping the Fortune 500 people. It would take at least five years. You think so? Oh, yeah. Like we need a lot more developers a lot more talent coming into the space we need not only you know the technical people we need people from legal profession so for compliance and stuff because we're gonna get asked that again if we're going mainstream like it or not we need to 
you know, engage uh, with, you know, uh, these players uh we have to have people from design you know marketing all of this and and we need to educate a lot more and we're very like sometimes you know i feel like when we're in, in these events and as cool as they are you know once you like step outside mm-hmm. <laughs> so Actually, you step outside, people are like, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? So we saw, we yeah, just yeah, saw, like, we were all jamming. It was good. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, we, we were actually, somebody said, made this analogy with, which I thought was perfect. Right. So let's say Michael Sadler goes to a Bitcoin event and he has to walk around with security and everything. Right. And everybody's like, oh, you know, and rightfully so. The guy's brilliant. But if you were to drop Michael Sailor into any shopping mall in America, be able to walk free. Right. Yeah, just no attention paid. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely zero. Yeah. I, uh, 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 I don't. I don't know who that is. No, but I agree. We need more talent. That's actually been one of the most encouraging things of this bear market, particularly. Mm-hmm. I've been around since 2013, so seen my fair share of bear mm-hmm. markets, and yeah, I don't think there's been any that compared to this in terms of people. Uh, in different industries deciding, you know what, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go work in Bitcoin because it makes sense to me and it hasn't died. Like the amount of talent that has come in from other industries during the bear market has been incredible. And more diverse talent. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a shift away from like what was predominantly engineering talent into these other, let's call it softer uh, type of uh, professions. So, HR, a lot of HR Bitcoin companies coming up online, right? Mm-hmm. Um, design, a lot of design people are coming in and reaching out. Uh, so to me, it's very encouraging. I also like to say uh, Bitcoin doesn't have bear markets. Bitcoin has bull markets and build markets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually important because uh also, having gone through a few of this, when uh, Bitcoin price starts to pick up and it's a bull market, you sure. cannot get a lot of work done. It's very distracting. It's very distracting, and you you get you get so many calls and stuff that it's very difficult to like build. <laughs> yeah. Well, as somebody running a business in the space, like how do you prepare your team mentally? Because that's one thing that I think we do need to get better at as an industry is not getting too distracted in the bear market. it's like, or the bull market and like setting expectations for people. Like it's going to happen yeah. at some point, prepare mentally. And when it does yeah. come, like you can't get too distracted. We have to like batten down the hatches and really double down here. Yeah. Well, when it's a bull market, it's very hard. It's easier. <laughs> oddly enough, it's easier in the bear market because yeah. the price is so sad that you just don't look at it. <laughs> but when it's a bull market, it's it's even distracting because you just get so many calls. Mm-hmm. You, you you've been through this. Like yeah. when it's a bull market, people that hadn't talked to you in five years <laughs> start calling you. That's why this, you up. <laughs> that's why this podcast exists. I started the newsletter, which led to the podcast. Uh, yeah. The newsletter started because I was getting so many texts and emails and calls. People hit me up. I was like, all right, there's too many of you. I'm just write this newsletter. Go read it, and you'll learn about Bitcoin. Yeah. And and that's what happens in bull markets. It's, it's not even. It's too hard to get get away from the noise in bull markets. So 
you know, you do try to explain this is what's going to happen. and uh, But honestly, only experience. So the people that have been in the company through bull markets before, they kind of like get a lot better at managing it. Yeah. Like the newbies, it's just like. Yeah. We'll, we'll see if Capso Dell comes back in the next, <laughs> in the next bull market. Yeah. yeah. He gets really to he Matt loves his bull markets. Yeah. <laughs> stay humble. Stack sats is his, uh, his mantra, but in the bull market, you know, he lets loose a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. I mean, it is. I mean, we're ripping right now. We're just for past 31,000. Yeah. Thanks to ripple. Um, yeah. Well, uh, somebody was saying, wait till the black rock ETF comes online. Yeah. Do you think it's going to get approved? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It's 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 like the third time that people are going for ETFs. I think uh, first ETF idea was floated around like 2015 or Yeah, the Winklevi really thought they're going to get it. Something like that didn't go through then in 2017, 16 says Oh, I forget now. Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> In Bitcoin terms. <laughs> uh, then the GVTC came along, right? Grayscale. And I, I, I was going to say no to BlackRock. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that they're <laughs> going to get turned around. I mean, they're 575 or 576 in terms of filings that have gotten approved. So, yeah, the, the, yeah this is not. For just looking at the stats, they're literally almost batting 1,000. So, yeah. So, Right now, I, I do think it's going to get approved. I and uh, and when that comes online, you know w- what we don't realize is the amount of capital that you know some somebody like this is able to deploy. It's never been seen in Bitcoin. No, never. And we're talking right now. What are we? Uh, a little bit over half a trillion, something like that. Yeah, probably. And, approaching 600 tri- yeah. 600 billion. Yeah, and the other thing is we have to understand how market works that that price is not the price of every bitcoin that's out there, right? It's just what's being traded. Float, yeah. It's it's the float on the exchanges, right? Which is a small percentage of the amount of bitcoin that is out there. So it doesn't take a lot of money to move this price and by a lot of, we're talking multiple millions of dollars for people. So let's put it in context, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not that it's, but, you know, not a lot of money in the financial industry means $100 million. You suddenly dump $100 million into Bitcoin. That's that floor stri- starts to raise and starts to raise quick. And you, and you start doing that once a day, once a week. BlackRock won't be the only one. BlackRock comes in, gets approved sends a signal to the market like high net worth individuals family offices pensions the like just start all right i guess we're gonna get exposure yeah well you know and you have these smaller players like like us we actually have a digital wealth management division where we educate uh um you know high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals in, in central america and latin, in latin america and, you know, we're doing roadshows. There's very interesting financial products that are coming online uh, with regards to Bitcoin. And this last roadshow, which still is ongoing, but has been you know, started last week, uh, the feedback we've gotten has been super positive. What, uh, in what way are people like, oh, I get it now. Like, I'm ready. Exactly. Yeah. Like, 
oh, thank you for explaining Bitcoin in a way I could understand mm -hmm. it and make sense financially. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing, right? Whenever you're investing, you don't invest in what you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, previously, and I've been you know, guilty of this. So as Bitcoiners, we've been too technical in our explanation. But, um, you know, like, like a friend likes to say, you know, I, I use the internet. I don't know how TCP IP works. Yeah. Like, why are you explaining this? Yeah. <laughs> and so we go in and we explain the use case and the technology and why it's important and know the good, the bad and the ugly. And, you know, they, they really respond to this. They, they really respond and like you know there for sure are dumb people with money but by and large the people that you know are self-made self-starters and you know these are not dumb individuals yeah they, and, they got there for a reason yeah they got there for a reason and if you go with the thing is that bitcoin is not under radar date today right mm -hmm. but if you manage to sit down with them and you know you have an hour-long presentation you explain it to them in terms that are familiar to them so you don't go in and and you know i don't throw words like htlc's and stuff <laughs> <around>. <laughs> I, I shy away from any of the what do you know about sha 256 yeah <laughs> any of the jargon i just explain you know once they get the concept and they want to dig deeper into the nitty-gritty of the technology then you explain it but by and large they're not that interested in how it works, but they want to know uh, why and the value prop. And that becomes really easy to explain. Yeah. And that's one thing I wonder, because again, we'll be 15 years into the white paper this October. Mm -hmm. So a decade and a half, it's a lot of time in the digital age. Like is this in probably just kind of jinx myself but it feels like especially with like the black rocks of the world entering mm -hmm. like is this the cycle where we don't look behind and it's I, an idea that is undeniable and something that people can't ignore anymore yeah well i was just thinking about that i don't know who has this quote maybe you you remember who said it but nothing is as powerful as an idea whose time has come mm -hmm. yeah I yeah. do feel that. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you know, it's that being said, it's like, it's not like, you know, it, the time comes and suddenly we're, you know, at a million for, for each Bitcoin or something like that. It's, it's not that, but it's when it becomes entrenched sufficiently that you, uh, you know, it's just never going to go away. Yeah. And I do think we're dangerously close to that. Like uh, Bitcoin going to zero, probably after, you know, the black rocks of the world and, you know, financial institutions come in, zero, so, it, it, no, it doesn't happen. And yeah, I, I agree with you on that. You know, the price still will have its ups, ups and downs, but, you know, by and large, it'll get adopted. Um, Another friend I was talking to was actually making this uh, analogy, you know, back in the 80s, encryption was actually, uh, what was it, state? 
weapon or secret? Dar- or? I think DARPA or the NSA. Like, yeah, yeah, but it was, it was like property weapons of gra- the... Weapons-grade technology. Weapons-grade technology, exactly. Mm-hmm. So encryption was weapons-grade technology until PGP, pretty good privacy, came along, right? And there was this huge lawsuit. And the thing that PGP did to kind of, you know, the trump card was they published the code in a book. Mm-hmm. And put it on t-shirts too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, it became a freedom of speech, you know, subject. But even after that, and and after, you know, the Department of Defense lost the lawsuit because they did lose, um, even after, it wasn't like, it it was pretty tough to use PGP. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you were hassled and frowned upon and everything, but then the banks realized oh, with this, we can like have open banking standards because the transmission of information can be secure and we can do this and we can do that and we can make, you know, our operations more efficient and na 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 And, and they saw this use case, right, for the encryption technology. And then all of that pushback against encryption so just evaporated, went away. Today, nobody even talks about encryption, right? Like we know we have to encrypt stuff. And if the lightning technology becomes entrenched in, you know, financial institutions, the narrative will change completely around all of this technology. Because if they start making money with uh, lightning, and I know they will. Scheme. That's the beauty of Bitcoin. It weaponizes human greed (laughs) to create this. The system that can't be corrupted. It's, yeah, no, it's it's really awesome. Yeah, well, it's awesome what you're building. I'm pumped that we got to do this in person. It's much better <laughs> yeah, in person too. than uh, than uh, through the uh, the laptop screen. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when I'm in places with crappy internet, which <laughs> <laughs> happens quite often. Yeah. Well, what else should we end it on? Anything else that we didn't touch on that you think we should wrap up here? Oh. Uh, if I can ask you a question. Yes, sir. What are you most looking forward to with A, Bitcoin, and then B, Lightning? Hmm. Bitcoin, the, that's something I've been obsessed with for the last five years in the mining industry. That's another thing. Like you talk about financial industries getting in, um, the financial industry getting in and institutions getting in, getting drawn by the, the asset Bitcoin is a hard asset um, that could be a store of value and certainly good, but I think equally as important is the energy sector getting mining as an additive feature to their operational stack. And that's the most exciting thing to me uh, in Bitcoin right now is the convergence of the energy sector with Bitcoin mining um, working in the symbiotic relationship to make Bitcoin more secure and make our energy infrastructure more secure, efficient, reliable, and robust. Uh, and then lightning. Yeah, I think this AI stuff is going to be big. Um, I think the timing of where lightning is at its maturation process and the nascency of the AI industry creates an environment where um, I would imagine the AI industry is more willing to um, experiment with new things that are additive. It's sort of like a, a tabula rasa that people can build new processes and design features into. And I think 
the convergence of AI and the Lightning Network is just a no-brainer, um, especially considering that they're extremely capital-intensive businesses for all the GPUs they need to set up. And so like chargeback risk for them is pretty massive. And so it would make sense out of the gate for them to align yeah. with a payments network like Lightning to prevent that risk because they probably have very thin margins with which they can play with. Yeah, and and you know I agree with you 100% on that because um, you can't you can't adopt a payment technology that has chargebacks if you're going to be you know transact doing transactions less than five cents. Yeah, no. can't handle chargebacks. Oh, yeah, and you can create. I mean, that's the panel I'm about to lead here um, at 4 p.m. today is AI and the Lightning Network and like it, it works both ways like the ai the ai industry is all about building these large language models and what do they need for those models they need a bunch of data and mm-hmm. one way to get the data is to pay people to feed data into the llm and you can pay a global workforce over the lightning yeah. network microtransactions for yeah. completing tasks that adds data to the llm and then on the front end so that's the back end and then on the front end Consumers like myself, I use Midjourney for the newsletter to create our thumbnails. Mm-hmm. Like instead of paying a monthly fee using a credit card, I would love to go into my account and generate an image and pay over the Lightning Network yeah. for the exact image that I'm getting. Yeah, and just get um, pay per image. Yeah, pay per image. Like, yeah, makes sense uh, on their end to reduce the chargeback risk to allow themselves to build the LLM models. And then on my end as a consumer to get the lowest cost possible for the value they're providing me. And not only that, like it's, you know, being able to transact value for value. Okay. I'm receiving this product. I'm paying for it and that's it. Yeah. We don't need to have anything else happen between us. Right. Yeah. Like I'll pay you as long as I like your product. And when I don't. Yeah. When I'm not using it, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, say I write three to five newsletters a week. So that's 12 to 20 a month. So I'm using it 20 times a month. Like I should probably be paying maybe less than $5 for those images. I'm probably, probably paying $20 a month now. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I especially like uh, the, the part about Bitcoin with miners and the energy sector, I think. I've always thought this, I think, uh, that Bitcoin enables a nuclear energy future. Agreed. And I think people, you know, they, I'm scared about what's going to happen with the Oppenheimer movie now, (laughs) to be (laughs) honest. Uh, But uh, people need to really understand that nuclear energy is the best source of energy we have by far. Like it's not even close, like in terms of cleanliness, in in terms of efficiency, density, density, all of it is just like miles better than anything else out there. But it does come at a significant, uh, you know, there is a significant issue, which is a nuclear reactor cannot be stopped. Yeah. So you need somebody that's a captive client of the nuclear plant that is going to consume anything that the nuclear power plant produces. Mm-hmm. And those are Bitcoin miners because yeah. they will stabilize your demand. Yeah. 
It's a beautiful thing. And it's, I think we're going to win that narrative. I think it's becoming abundantly clear that we should. Yeah. Like if, you know, we need to get more engineers in politics. That's, that's my <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> we just need to like, let the politicians, let the engineers do their job and stop getting in the way. Well, that would be helpful as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jose, it's been a pleasure, sir. It's great to see you in person. Yeah, no, same, likewise. Yeah, I'm pumped for what you guys are doing at IBEX. It's yeah. uh, really exciting, and I think it's a very important part of the industry. Like, really, again, the niche that you're working in, yeah. going after the enterprise level and trying to really get them to understand Bitcoin and then incorporate it into their businesses. Extremely high leverage for making sure that Bitcoin's successful in the long run. Yeah. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you for the words, Marty. Wow. And I. No, but listen, I'm also kind of like, we appreciate what you guys do so much as well. So, you know, getting the word out there and, you know, getting exposure for all of the Bitcoin projects that are available. And, you know, it's it's very interesting times, very exciting. It's, uh, I can't wait uh, to read the story. <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, old men sitting in yeah. leather chairs. Yeah. reading the story like huh that was pretty cool what we did there yeah yeah like oh, <laughs> I, I remember that guy <laughs> what happened <laughs> we're all in this together that's the beauty of it and that's why i love events like this because it gets everybody building in the space together and it's said often but can't be overstated it's just like the people in this industry are pure and it's really fun seeing everybody work together. Everybody yeah. wants to help each other out and lift yeah. each other up. And it's a massive problem that we're all working to solve. And yeah. the, the people and their individual efforts and then the collaboration uh, across efforts is something special that I think we'll look back when we're reading that book and cherish that <laughs> we had the opportunity to take part in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So we should get up there and join our... I, I think we should. Okay. I think we've hidden away long enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love.